0: Welcome to today's episode of Healthful Woman, a podcast designed to explore topics in women's health at all stages of life. I'm your host, Dr. Nathan Fox, an OBGYN and maternal fetal medicine specialist practicing in New York City. At Healthful Woman, I speak with leaders in the field to help you learn more about women's health, pregnancy, and wellness. Today on Healthful Woman... We will be talking with Dr. Sherry Gelber. Welcome to Healthful Woman.
1: Thanks for having me. How
0: are you doing today? Doing great. I've asked everyone, is this your first podcasting experience?
1: Is my first podcasting experience.
0: Wonderful. Well, hopefully it'll be enjoyable and interesting to you. So tell me, Sherry, tell me a little bit about yourself. Where are you from, background, the like?
1: I'm from New York City, born at Mount Sinai Hospital. So I've returned to my roots. (laughs) I grew up in Westchester. I went to college out in California, came back here for the rest of my training, was at Columbia for a number of years, was down in Philly, came back to New York, love New York.
0: So you're a New Yorker. I'm a New Yorker. Now, Sharon actually trained together. We did our fellowship together at Cornell, but you did an MD and PhD. So for our listeners, explain exactly what that is and how you chose to do that as opposed to the more traditional, just going to medical school, so to speak.
1: When I was in college, I really couldn't decide whether I wanted to be a full-time doctor or whether I wanted to do biomedical research. I really liked interfacing with patients, but I was really curious about how we made the recommendations we made in terms of healthcare and the science that drove medicine. And so mostly due to indecision, I decided to pursue (laughs) both degrees. So I spent in the middle of medical school, I took five years out and was full time in a lab doing basic science. And the work I did doesn't directly impact patient care, but It provided me with a different way of thinking about scientific problems and thinking about how things in basic science can help translate into treatments and diagnoses of patients. And it provided me with training and how to sort of think differently about medical problems.
0: And you knew this going into medical school, meaning your plan from when you started medical school was to do both degrees. Yes. And so that's a standard program that people do where it's two years of medical school. The first two years are typically what they call preclinical, which is mostly classroom, small group books, not hundred percent that way, but mostly that way. And then usually the third and fourth year are what we call clinical where you're in the hospital seeing patients and, you know, on rounds and what we call, you know, rotations and whatnot. And so in between you took five years off. So five years just because of indecision. That's great. Yeah. so <laughs> it's, it's, it, it all works out nicely. And then when you were in the lab, what field were you studying? Because obviously there's PhDs in all sorts of fields.
1: My degree is in Neurobiology and Behavior. And I was studying minutiae of neuroscience. So I was looking at the receptors for nicotine in the brains of mice. And some of this was driven by the fact that when I started medical school, I was 100% certain I was going to be a pediatric neurologist. Mm -hmm. That was what really excited me. I really wanted to understand brain development. I actually come from a background my father worked for Philip Morris. So I grew up in the world of cigarettes. I sort of objected to everything about cigarettes. And I wanted to understand like, why nicotine was addictive and how that could impact brain development. And even when I went back to medical school, I was sure I was going to be a pediatric neurologist. And then when I did my clinical rotations, I just loved being on the abstractor floor.
0: What was it like going back from the basic science, five years of basic science? That's a long time to be in that world so to speak. What was it like transitioning back into the very, you know, clinical type of medical Care where they probably had, first of all, no idea what you had done in the past five years and not probably not that much interest either.
1: It really gave me a lot of insight into how fast medicine moves because there were things I learned in my first two years set in stone. This is the way we do things. And then I went back and I was all prepared. like I reviewed my stuff from the first two years and there were certain fields where everything had changed. So... I went back. I did internal medicine. There was no troponin before I started my PhD. And then suddenly it wasn't like a cutting edge thing. Everyone was getting a troponin. And that was how you ruled out a heart attack. Everything I had learned, not everything, but a lot of things had really changed dramatically and it gave me a real appreciation for just how much you have to stay on top of things in what you're doing and other things to so you can be literate in the field of medicine and really be able to help patients
0: right I mean somewhat tangentially it really is remarkable how true that is people say it in different ways all the time but basically there's no such thing as being finished with your training like sure maybe certain things you do with your hands you know the way you throw sutures might be the same way for the rest of your life but in terms of the knowledge base we have, It evolves so quickly. And if you're not continuously, whether it's reading or attending some sort of conferences or classes or doing online learning, you're going to fall behind and you're really not going to know what's going on. And it's absolutely extraordinary how quickly things move in our field, which is good also because it means at least we're learning new things.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I definitely remember when I was a resident, like, saying to Ron Wapner there's going to be better testing for down syndrome i don't think cbs is you know going to be there's no reason to get trained in cbs nobody's going to be doing it and i think now we can all envision a world where from self free dna we're not going to be doing very much invasive testing not just for down syndrome but like for lots of things, I think we can envision we're going to be able to make, be making diagnoses on using technology that just wasn't available 10 years ago.
0: So coming back to you, you're in your eighth year of schooling, so to speak, but your third year of the medical school and you're doing clinical, what was it about OBGYN that excited you and made you change your plans for being a pediatric neurologist? Because they're, they're very different fields, pediatric neurology and obstetrics and gynecology, obviously. I
1: think what... I thought pediatric neurology was going to be like, like I was very excited in the brain and the brain was exciting. But the problem with the field at the time, although that has changed a lot also, was everything was sort of static. It was all about making the diagnosis and there wasn't a lot you could do about treatment. And then when I was a medical student at Columbia, there was a very high volume of prematurity of very sick patients. One of the things we talked about a lot was the effect of prematurity and cerebral palsy. And I was like, you know, the way to think about cerebral palsy isn't about seeing a five-year-old and coming up with a treatment. It's really, what can we do to decrease the incidence by making maternal health care and neonatal and fetal care better?
0: And so you went into obstetrics and gynecology and you're doing your residency And at some point you made a decision, i want to do more training. Nine years of school and four years of residency isn't quite enough. Let's do some more training. So you decided to do a fellowship in maternal fetal medicine. What brought you to that decision?
1: I think when I chose OB, I knew from the outset that that was what I wanted to do.
0: And then that's how you landed back in New York City at Cornell. And in your fellowship, since fellowship has more research time than does residency, did you find that you were sort of drawing on your PhD training and knowledge in terms of how you trained in your fellowship? Because probably you wouldn't use a lot of that in your residency because it's very clinical. But how did you find in your fellowship that the PhD either helped you or made you think about it a little bit differently?
1: I think because I had gone in and was comfortable talking about research, I think I spent more time in other departments, other divisions Interfacing with people in different fields because I was used to that kind of experience. During fellowship, I did work in a translational lab doing some basic science, some translational work, applying animal models to human diseases.
0: Explain what translational means for those who might not know.
1: Translational medicine is really when you're picking a scientific question that you want more information about, but that will translate. Directly to patient care. So it's not abstract. It's not like, well, I'm going to understand how this thing works and hopefully someone will be able to connect it. It's work that you would hope would have a direct connection to patient care, but it's usually not work on patients. It's like in this case, I was working with a mouse model of preeclampsia and there was the hope that the information you got from that mouse could be directly applied to the care of patients. Right. And
0: there's a big push for translational. Type of research nowadays because, you know, with funding dollars uh, being tight, a lot of people who are willing to fund research, want to see results a little bit either more tangible or maybe quickly. And so the thought is well, if we can do the type of research that applies to humans more readily, then that's what they're more willing to fund.
1: Yes. So there's the National Science Foundation, which funds science, and there's the National Institute of Health, which really funds research directed at human health. And so for the most part, they want that research to be applicable to patient care in the short or midterm, not in the very long term.
0: And now in your current practice, you're at Maternal Fetal Medicine Associates and Carnegie Imaging for Women. And right now, you spend the majority of your time doing prenatal diagnosis, and ultrasound, but also a significant portion of your time doing outpatient consultations and inpatient consultations, correct? Yes. And how do you find having a very clinical job, having a research background? Is it something that it's just you sort of have left behind or something you take with you when practicing medicine? I'm curious because most people who are both MD and PhDs don't spend as much time doing clinical medicine as you do.
1: You know, one of the things that drove the PhD was just interest in a lot of things. And when patients need a consult, like sometimes it's something mundane that we've all seen a lot. And sometimes it's something super unusual that maybe there are five cases in the literature and you have to draw broadly from research and clinical care outside of what we do every day. And you have to be able to connect the dots because there might not be an answer for exactly what the best solution is for this patient. And I really like reading outside my field. And so I feel like I'm using that thinking about the PhD every day, even if I'm not in a lab pipetting every day.
0: Right. I think sometimes patients have the impression that when they go to see a doctor, particularly the complicated problem, that... The quest is just to find the doctor who happens to know everything about that. And it usually doesn't work like that. Usually, if it's something straightforward, like you said, many people know what to do. And you can you may have different opinions, but basically a lot of people seen this, a lot of people know what to do. But we run into so many situations or unique circumstances that there really isn't an answer. It's not like anyone's seen this a ton or it's been around. And so it really does require, like you said, that scientific inquiry, that curiosity about like, what is this? How do we look at it? How do we begin to figure this out? And I can see why a background in any scientific training, but certainly basic scientific training would in a certain way train your brain how to do those types of things in clinical medicine.
1: Yes. I love being on the steep part of the learning curve. So like if I'm seeing a consult for a patient with something I've never heard of before, like that is that like I'm excited about going home and reading about that.
0: So that's great. What do you like to do when you're not practicing medicine. I know that like me, you're a dog lover.
1: I love my dog as much time with my dog as possible. I like to cook. I like to be outdoors.
0: Sherry makes a great applesauce that I know.
1: Yeah, I try and do healthy cooking. For many years, we had a farm share. And like one of my goals was that I was going to use everything in my farm share. So there were things that people in my family didn't necessarily like, or they thought they didn't like. And my solution to almost everything is most things can be put into either soup or ice cream. We got fennel. Everyone in my family claims to not like fennel. I made Twizzler ice cream. It was phenomenal, like strawberry licorice.
0: Very nice. Where do you see yourself 10, 20 years in medicine? Doing ultrasounds, seeing consultations? Do you see yourself going back into basic science or something, or the world's your oyster and and you'll figure it out?
1: Figuring things out as I go along.
0: Right. Again, this is we're, we're talking to someone who took five years because of indecision, which is great, but it led you into amazing degrees and amazing training. So I don't know. I think you have the answer. Just, just keep training. Love training. Thank you for coming on, Dr. Sherry Gelber, and we look forward to having you again on Healthful Woman. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Healthful Woman podcast. To learn more about our podcast, please visit our website at www.healthfulwoman.com. That's H-E-A-L-T-H-F-U-L-W-O-M-A-N.com. If you have any questions about this podcast or any other topic you would like us to address, please feel free to email us at hw at helpfulwoman.com. Have a great day.